Everybody, welcome to episode 347 of the Sound Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by my annual co-hosts, Peter and Jake. That's right, Kurt. And for our last show of the year uh, of 2022, this is the uh, the scuffed gaming peripheral edition of the cast. Um, we usually, sometimes we do these deep di- these random deep dives when we start the show. This one we did before we started the show. That's true. And we found some amazing controllers. If they were uh, the, cheap, to I be would buy fair, for all of you, we often also do these before we start the show. And Usually we finish up a rabbit hole, and then we start the show and immediately fall into another rabbit hole. That's true, and it's 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 always a it's been a highlight. It's, it's, I'm proud to share these moments with you. I've just got. I just scrolled to the end of the list and saw the uh, Digisense eye smell, and now I'm I'm done with humanity for the day. Yeah, I don't know how what how it translates it to smell. It's never worked. It's never worked for humanity. Smell o vision is not something we'll get to in my lifetime, and I'm very glad for that. I think it's an end state for, for technological <laughs> development. It's a sign of the end times. Yeah, you know this this website that you shared with us for the Alpha Grip. Um, mm-hmm. it, there are a couple things that I particularly love. It looks like it was designed in 2005. One. Love that. It also has an iPod Nano, the one with like the extended screen, uh, as like one of its featured... Oh, for the Nano 5, for, as one of its featured grips. Love that. Excellent. Yep. And then it also is showing that it can be used with uh, World of Warcraft. Which is topical and still around. So you have no idea uh, when, if this was updated yesterday or 2005. <laughs> is it a real company still? No. Hard to hard to say. Yeah, we'll we'll see if we get Peter back because I'm sure he has yeah. many more. Uh, there things is. to say about the alpha grip and about yeah. the x grip and about all the different grips he's a very grippy individual you can you can hold on to him even if he's covered head to toe in oil i mm-hmm. i know from experience while i disappeared into the depths of the alpha grip i went into its circuitry uh did you did you guys talk about this who is this paris hilton disney disney hilton paris spears um the the model Peter, did you the suffer lady, a stroke when you were in the grid? <laughs> the model that's uh, showing off I've the ascended, alpha grip. Kurt. I know. I now know how to use a Titan spear. You've you've uh, you've become the uh, puppet master AI. Who the uh, the now model have... showing off the alpha grip? Yeah, yeah. Who is that? Is that someone I should know? No, but she's a gamer, and she's most likely uh, gonna hook up with Graham later. The human yeah. designed for car crashes. They're human designed for typing on keyboards. I love the I love the the feature here on this. It says type fifty plus words per minute from any location. Fifty plus? <laughs> Why is the bar set so low? <laughs> so we could add the plus on. And the I mean the first first and most important one is lean back from your desk. <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> 
<laughs> the evolution of the evolution of writing speed according to Alpha Grip. Is this is this the Bible of Alpha Grip? Could Term? be. It looks. It almost looks like the Time Cube. It's kind of oh. like the Gutenberg Bible in its cultural impact. <laughs> From chisel and stone to quill, pen, and parchment. I did not know I was going to get a history lesson, according to Alpha Grip, from uh, my gaming controller website. <laughs> I don't think it's for gaming. I think it's for typing. Mm-hmm. Then why do they use it or show it being used I, uh, I for? I think he oh, thinks crap. that you can use it for both. Like it's it's the everything. It's oh. the ultimate. It's the next evolution, like the, the time cube. The work in the next controller. evolution of humanity yeah. is grand. The next evolution of humanity. It's the working man's controller coming back from a long day at the the mine, and you 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 dust off your alpha grip controller that you use to craft some some mines, and and is you, that you, where we're coming at you live from the alpha grip mines? <laughs> hey, it might as well be either that or. Or the writer studio at Avatar Two, um, where just people are the writers are kept in cages, churning out six, seven, eight movies at a time, using the alpha grip. Kate Winslet shivering in the corner because she just was forced underwater for seven minutes. <laughs> Navy SEALs come in to, to shoot the scenes. I put my I put my cast through Navy SEAL training. So they could really feel like a seal in Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Most expensive movie ever made for good reason. Well, actually, not for great reason. But uh, let's let's not bullshit about here. It's going to be a, a shorter episode this week. You do have the mini sode in between to kind of kind of bolster it. Um, but let's get into tray watch here. And what a tray watch! <laughs> Boy. We watching trays. Um, yeah, we just have a second trailer for Knock at the Cabin, um, mm-hmm. but it sure as hell showed a lot more than I think the first one did. Is everyone excited to see Dave Batista again <laughs> directed by M Night Shyamalan? I know I am. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm wondering if this was um, necessary to come out with a second one and kind of reveal the reveal the deal. Um, I mean, we already knew that there were the gay dads in the cabin with their daughter, and some people show up and ask them to what? What is it? They ask them to like murk each they other. Want to sacrifice someone to event prevent the apocalypse? Yeah. So that's scary. Um, but like, you know, that was enough. That was enough to get me hooked in, and um, then they kind of just started showing a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, maybe some of it's misdirection, but I don't know. It's it's M Night Shyamalan at this stage in his career. Yeah, it's got a a good amount of um, stars in this too. Um, you do have Dave Bautista, but you also have um, uh, is it was that Jonathan Groff that I saw? Is that was I don't know. Was? Rupert Grint is in it. Or am I getting? I think Rupert this is the first time I've seen him. In something that wasn't Harry Potter related. Yeah, so um, returning names. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Groff's in it, who is uh, fantastic. Uh, but for singing, not usually for uh, acting. We'll see how he is in this. I mean, I think the last thing I saw him in was um, The Matrix. 
the new new Matrix movie, and he was what a standout movie that he, was. He was fine. Oh yeah, I, did, I don't know if I ever told you guys I watched that movie. I think I missed that episode that we were on, and then I, I ended up did, watching yeah. that on the way back from Italy. And uh, not great. <laughs> hooey! <laughs> what a movie! <laughs> oh, what a movie! Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's the pigs in a blanket version of the Matrix movie. It's uh, you know, wrapped up and easily digestible, but boy, you're just like, there's nothing really to write home about this. Yeah. Uh, I'll eat it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. I'll eat it, but I'm not going to like it. All right. Uh, so um, well, we got a fish Peter back from the ether, so we'll be back after a brief uh, pause here. All right, we fished him back out of there. Um, Tron's got a hold on me, baby. Tron, Tron's holding on for grim, grim death here. Um, I fight for the users. So Peter had the real knock at the cabin. Yeah, and uh, didn't share any of his thoughts on the trailer. So now we're gonna yeah. put him in the spotlight. You're gonna quiz me on. <laughs> On uh, the M. Night Shyamalan. What is the um, premise of this movie? We all yeah. know Dave Bautista is a size extra, extra large. What size shirt is he wearing in this? A. Small. B. Medium. C. A, Dave Bautista large. It's a tankini. D. All the above. Because this is like a size or two short for him, and he's a uh, he's. Popping out of those buttons, man. Well, you know? when you're a cultist, that's the only apocalypse you, you have what you can. You have what you have when you're a cultist. Mm-hmm. So my only question is: Is this a sequel to the cabin in the woods? No. I really want it to be because it's it's a similar. It is a similar premise, without without the horror <laughs> anthology stuff painted on it, right? Where the family that goes to the cabin. Or the people that go to the cabin are the people that must be sacrificed to stop the apocalypse from happening, yeah. which is the plot of Cabin in the Woods. It's a yeah. different mechanism by which that happens, but uh, same one. And you know what? We none of us none of us realized that Shyamalan he secretly bought the rights to that film <laughs> out from under our noses, and he's gonna connect them together. See, I I don't know. Well, I, I, I kind of guess that, like, it's the twist is, is going to be on the side of stupid, I think, for this one. It's M. Night Shyamalan late stage, so yeah. <laughs> like when, Jake, you, you were the one who saw Old, right? Fuck Did, that, no. Okay. Who, the last Shyamalan movie old? I saw was Glass. Okay, because I remember we spoiled that movie for ourselves and we learned that it was just, like, drugs. It was drugs, yeah. Yeah, like, that's oh. what drugs do. Wow. I think we were just curious, but didn't want to go see it. So we we when we looked up some of the reviews, they were spoilers. It was all about them taking experimental drugs. Uh, it was not much like the graphic novel on which it was based. Which there was some weird like maelstrom thing. Mm. Um, you know, time storm that happens. Yeah, but. Yeah, so I think it's going to be stupid. I think the twist is going to be stupid. I I would be inclined to agree with you. I think there's very little chance that this movie is 
uh, particularly good. M. Night Shyamalan hasn't made a positively reviewed movie in God knows how long. I think since mm-hmm. Split. Yeah. 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 It's been, uh, I don't know. It's just, I feel like his, he's got, he's a one trick pony. And then after that, he's it's like, pigeonholed himself. he's got a thinly veiled plot with a obscure twist at the end of his movies. And it's not enough, uh, meat to fill the bellies of the, of the crowd of public opinion. Yeah. The, the, the slavering children. Let me see if, hey, slavering can... children at, at the, biting at the bit, looking for those worms from Mama Bird. So yeah, uh, I, Cheyenne Mama Bird. I didn't realize Signs had a positive reviewing. Um, so yeah, here's his last few films uh, based on tomato meter. Old. Fifty uh, percent fresh glass, thirty-six percent flesh split, seventy-eight percent fresh. The visit, sixty-eight percent. So split would came out in twenty sixteen, uh, but the audience score for the visit was only fifty-one. Hmm. Uh, after so- Earth, twelve <laughs> percent. I'm being baffled right now by the movies that I'm po- posthumously learning he directed. Or Devil. It's just called Devil. 49%. The Last Airbender, uh, his worst movie by Tomato Meter with 5%. Um, the Happening, 17%. Lady in the Water, 25%. And we're all the way back in 2006 now. Uh, the Shark is still working, 100%, but uh, that's not a movie he directed. That was He was just in that. Uh, the Village, 43%. And then his intro period where he had um, the sixth sense. Wait, he took, no, he wrote Stuart Little. <laughs> what? What? There's was a writer on it? He's, he's credited as a screenwriter for Stuart Little. Amazing. He was the guy who was in the back being like, guys, we should have a twist to where like maybe the mouse is really the boy's actual well, blood brother. Well, that's the twist: is that the parents went to a, went to the uh, orphanage full of human children and chose the mouse to adopt. Yeah. So his first movie was a movie called Wide Awake, which came out in 1998 and made 258 thousand dollars. Then he did The Sixth Sense. <laughs> what did that get on Tomatometer? Eighty-six percent. Okay. And then Unbreakable <laughs> at seventy percent. Signs was. I had a higher thermometer than Unbreakable. What? Science is a terrible movie. I don't know. This is just fuel for the, the and it tomato was, fire. It's so dumb. Like, why? If the alien's weakness is water, why come to the one planet that is like 70% water? <laughs> but, Kurt, it's an illusion to the Bible and their demons and it's holy water. Is that what he was going for? That's what I've heard. Is like the the uh, the analysis version of it. Because wasn't I again? I haven't seen the movie, so I got no fucking clue. But wasn't like the the crazy lady, like the the grandma who made who did all the bottles? She was like a, a Bible crazy lady. Well, she. I think the big thing, or maybe it was the mother. So I've only seen Science once. It was a drive-in. It was the second movie, and I fell asleep halfway through it. But there was one of the characters was like, "Oh, everything happens for a reason." Like in the kid's asthma, like saved him from the the poison gas of the aliens. 
Because <laughs> that's how asthma works. Yeah. He couldn't <laughs> breathe. He wasn't breathing. The... Okay. <laughs> yeah. There. I, w- I wonder if there's uh, some solid uh, exposition on on IMDb trivia. Maybe we maybe we need to watch Signs at some point. But uh, yeah, that's Trey Watch actually. Ta-da. <laughs> Let's move the now. Only tray watch will ever get done in under ten minutes. To the uh, the follow up. That was probably a world record shortest tray watch. I mean, we try stretching it out. Oh, we do. We swear, but only so much you can do with six featurettes and one actual trailer. I mean, this is like the fifteenth featurette I've seen from Megan. <laughs> yeah, they are they are marketing the shit out of it. Yeah, isn't that out already? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that they don't have the rights to, uh, or they only have like the rights to the first Child's Play movie, so they're they're trying to create a a similar property. <laughs> uh, it James is out Wan. currently. <laughs> yeah, by James Wan. He did uh, what you call it, Aquaman, and yeah. and so the he's... Conjuring movies, which is yes. probably what he's more known for. So yeah, this feels like it's right in his wheelhouse. Yep. Like a, a horror comedy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move now to the follow-up and uh, what what a follow-up it is. Uh, in first place is Avatar The Way of Water with $63.33 million this mm-hmm. weekend, down 52.8%. Uh, week over week, which is not super promising to have that big a drop when you need so much money to break even. <laughs> yeah, people were. I feel like when I heard the articles talking about, it, people were like, "This proves the haters wrong. Like, this is proof that it's it's going and it's going to make its money back." Like, if it was two billion for all of the movies, I would say, "Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, then it's making its money back." But like it was two billion for just Avatar two, right? As far as I'm aware. I mean, it's it's hard to say. So when you look up online, Avatar two has an estimated budget of three hundred fifty million. You know, probably double that shit for the marketing. Um, you're looking at like seven hundred million, and then on top of that, you also have them very open about filming already. Um, all of Avatar three. So is that baked into the Avatar 2 budget that they have to make back? Um, and they're just not counting in the VFX and like other stuff, like scoring of it? Mm. So I I don't know. It's it they definitely said Avatar 2 has two billion uh dollar like point to hit before it becomes more uh profitable. It's, it's and like maybe a fucking inverse amortization <laughs> and and like, maybe that's what 20th century is saying you have to hit or disney is saying you have to hit in order for us to green light four and five and and that'll like make up for avatar three and and we'll we'll know we'll get our money back because avatar three is just going to be a cheaper movie i i don't know because this is also being a very popular thing where they're filming two movies at the same time and yeah. and then cutting it up into a couple things but I think uh, it's just for Ava- just for Avatar two, the way this I'm reading the Variety article where yeah. I think this kind of originated, um, 
it's for and speaking about just Avatar: The Way of Water needing to break even, um, which again, this article also puts it in its place. That would mean that it has to be like top five highest grossing yeah. movies yeah. of all time. Yeah, two billion yeah. I think would make it number four. Yeah, so um, it should be noted that a lot of that again is going to be off the back of the international box office, which. It's about a thirty seventy split. Yeah, right now I have the I have it up on screen. If you're watching on the video version, it's three hundred thirty eight million dollars uh, domestically and seven hundred sixty two internationally. Um, yeah, it, if it has a strong international box office, particularly in China and India, um, I have a feeling that this is going to do okay. It might make two billion. I don't know though. Um, it's a taller. No, no movie since No Way Home has even broken 1.5 billion, and that movie came out like two years ago at this point, just about. Yeah. Like we we remark on how amazing uh, Top Gun did, um, but that kind of comes with a couple of asterisks, which should in no way diminish its performance. I would say. Like, it did really. It did really well for being like a non-Disney, non non really franchise movie. Yeah, yeah, and for being a sequel to a movie that, for all intents and purposes, there did not feel like any, uh, you know, grassroots support for it. Um, so it did pretty well, and I don't know how much that. How much was the like one point four five? I think. Oh, four eight. Yeah. Uh, so it came okay. close to the $1.5 billion mark, but not quite. Right. Mm-hmm. So this has, to, this has to do 25% and, better. And this will have for... to have the kind of staying power that Top Gun Maverick did. That, as much as anything, was the most impressive thing about yeah. it, is how many weeks in the top 10 it was able to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Top Gun, I want to compare to how much uh, Avatar 2 got. I don't want, What was domestic opening for Avatar? Because Top Gun had a 126 million uh, domestic opening. Opening weekend for Avatar was 134 million, so not okay. much higher. Yeah, not much higher, and we're seeing similar drop-offs by 50%. Um, and, and, you know, if that slows, okay, but still, that's on track to hit 1.5. 1. 1. Yeah, the Not most recent that. daily that Box Office Mojo reports is the 28th, and it brought in $20 million. I'm really thinking mm-hmm. we're going to see Avatar Way of Water get released, re-released with, um, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes bonus footage or something like that. Or, like this has I don't to, know. I, <laughs> this The theatrical cut has to be the director's cut. Like, I don't think James Cameron was, was told to compromise on anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, or or just a straight re-release. I think Maverick did that um, after 10, 15 weeks or something like that. They re-release it on, on some holiday weekend. So maybe Avatar will do that too, but that's, I mean, still, you're if you're doing the same like playbook you're still only getting 1.5 mil mm-hmm. 1.5 yeah. bill um yeah you're, you're, for, not, you're not getting that too for reference avatar one just domestically grossed 785 million by the end of its run right now we're at 60 million right well no we're at 338 million domestic 
overall. Okay, that was the, that right. That was this week, right? Okay, so I mean, I guess it's halfway there. You're yeah. looking at similar but percentages we're get diminishing as well. Returns now. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know how many people are that thrilled to go out to a movie for three hours and sit through something that they could, you know, is, is probably going to be to streaming later on. And that, yeah, that's the the thing you have to remember with Avatar One is that was a much more palatable length. Yeah, um, it was only like it was like two and a half hours, something like that. Well, I was talking to my dentist, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I would recommend just shooting the shit, you know. <laughs> well, it, you know, they got all the tools in your mouth, and they bring up something you're trying to make make small talk with. I, uh, um, but I did say afterwards, I'm like, I would recommend Avatar Two. Uh, to go see, but then again, it's like it's still violent. You were just complaining about how Marvel movies are too violent for your kids. <laughs> um, so I'm like, you probably don't want to go see that. And it's three hours long. Are your are your eight year olds gonna sit through a three hour long movie? Yeah. And she's like, oh hell no, I'm I'm not gonna be able to keep them calm or still. No, this is again. It's the kids get to go. They see it at home or the the on in the car. And they'll they'll see an hour of it, and then they yeah. go to Avatar World at Disney World. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't think anyone was realistically expecting it to be above a hundred million. Honestly, for a second week drop off from such a big opening, it's not that bad. I think the 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 tale will be told when we get to this next non-holiday weekend. Yeah. Um. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, <laughs> opened yep. in second. So the, I guess good for actual, it. The actual, the box office peasantry now. Yeah, $12 million. Actually, that's a pretty respectable opening. I heard Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, was not a bad movie. Like, it doesn't look like a bad film. Like, it looks like it's a pretty enjoyable, um, fam- you know, animated family film that is, like, de- it looks like it's trying to make a departure from from Shrek <laughs> The uh, Shrektacle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not. It's a spinoff of Shrek, but it's not here's, Shrek. Here's the weird thing. This is saying that it. Um, when you click on Puss in Boots, it's saying worldwide it's made eighty million. Yeah. Domestic thirty eight. So this twelve million figure, I, I don't know, is that maybe that's um, well that opening that was the opening just, weekend. Yeah, this is for the raw the raw weekend. Yeah, so this is as of the twenty eighth, which was. Two days ago, that's the domestic, the worldwide total, eighty million, as Good reported shit. by Box Office. Yeah, it's a decent chunk of change, uh, more than I thought it would do. Uh, the Whitney Houston biopic, Real "I Want to Dance with Somebody," opens in third in thirty six hundred theaters from TriStar. Um, and uh, four point seven million dollars for that. Twelve million worldwide thus far. And opening this week, the last movie to open this week from Paramount Pictures for $3.6 million. And boy, oh boy, did they ever try to get you to see this movie. It's marketed yep. to hell and back. Babylon. Um, it's made $6 million, Wait a minute. Yeah, it's made $6 million worldwide so far. It doesn't have an I international mean, release or something. I, I don't yeah. know. Or yeah. the numbers haven't come back for international. 
Somehow, I don't think that a movie. I don't think this is going to be a strong performer internationally. Yeah. Even though, you know, as much as Hollywood is a big glamorous thing abroad, I don't think a movie about Hollywood uh, would make for a strong uh, audience reacher. Maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did okay. I mean, it's got it's got big names for Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, like yeah. Well, it might not be opening in China, but it is opening in our spotlight. It's it's revealing itself. It's exposing itself. (laughs) So, uh, Babylon. um, Let me just pull up the uh, the numerals here. Uh, in terms of critical reception, it's it's not getting great reviews. I'll tell you that right now. 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, 50% on Fandango. Even the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is only 50%. Uh, and for a three-hour and nine-minute movie, that might be a tough pill to swallow for some, but some does not include one of these intrepid IMDb user reviewers here goes by the name of Brody Thompson 05808. He submitted a 10 out of 10 review for Babylon, calling it one for the ages, submitted Christmas Eve of this year. They truly don't make movies like this anymore. This is a monumental epic that showcases old Hollywood beautifully. It's beautifully crafted, masterfully acted, and everything is done to perfection. This is Damien Chazelle's ode to cinema and deserves every Oscar. A full sweep of the Academy. Coming from a film buff, it baffles me that critics have this as rotten. They should truly be ashamed of themselves. This is why I hardly ever pay attention to the critics in all seriousness. This is the best film of the year and one of the best films I've ever watched. (laughs) Amazing. And I'm, it's not done. And I have quite the film library. Go out and watch one of a kind, once a decade type masterpiece, and that is sure to be unforgivable experience on the big screen. One for the ages. Well done, Chazelle. <laughs> Seventeen out of thirty-one found that helpful. Channeling my inner Jiminy Glick. <laughs> uh, so this. This person really thought this was bad, and uh, I sense a little bit of over-exaggeration, but uh, 1 out of 10, dumber than, than with an E, the waitress. So I, I don't understand why he's comparing it to the waitress, which I thought was a play. I mean, it's an all right character and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I mean, she doesn't add a lot to the stories. But... <laughs> yeah. So, Race Ellie 78 says, I'm dumber than the waitress. At least I didn't sleep through an hour and a half of the waitress and then walked out with still 49 minutes to go. This is a complete waste of money. You'd have more fun talking, talking, fuck me, Taking a $20 bill, setting it on fire, and watching it burn to ash. I'd rather have my toenails removed than, with an E, watch this again. I'd rather have my hair breaded. Braided? With bread, no, breaded. <laughs> breaded. Okay. Uh, with chewed up bubblegum from a preschooler 
then to ever sit that is the third instance of using the wrong well clearly they don't know which is which then to ever sit through this trash the acting sucked the directing sucked the movie the music sucked the storyline sucked this is the worst movie to have ever been created they should show this movie to terrorists to make them spill their military secrets (laughs) they'd give up in 15 minutes 17 out of 28 found that helpful fucking it's the whole it's the whole gamut from the best film ever made <laughs> to the worst movie ever made wow it's it's we get that a lot with these oh, it's almost yeah. as if the internet is very polarizing thunk. um from and then i get to i get to split the difference and usually air on the on the, <laughs> the crappy side um from vertigo movie from vertigo movie aka uh movie karen uh, their 4 out of 10 review I can, I'll see if I can't do a Karen voice could have been a great wonderful film Babylon could have been a great wonderful story about Hollywood but unnecessary vulgarity, nudity and profanity destroy this oh, film she's a pearl clutcher she's a... too bad I want to be in La La Land and not Babylon it's very tough to make it in Hollywood so why not focus on the struggle to make it instead of the decadent behavior of a few? Why not focus on the struggle? I'm turning into old lady. Why not focus on the struggle to get that elusive Hollywood movie break? I want to like that hot blonde Nellie Leroy, but I could not because Nellie was unlikable, vulgar, foul mouth, and <laughs> foul mouth. And there was no Hollywood sign in a movie that is about Hollywood. What a waste of money. $78 million. When will a great movie about Hollywood like Sunset Boulevard be made for 22nd century? 8 out of 23. Probably when the 22nd century rolls around, I would imagine. <laughs> 8 out of 23. I was not expecting pearl clutching. Oh, the, a lot of the one out of tens are pearl clutching like crazy. All right, there's this movie they could watch. It's called The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Janky Sharma. Yes. As a ten, ten review, a Hollywood magic sets and stars. Movie Babylon is directed and written by Damien Chazelle, La La Land, and Whiplash. The movie is about Hollywood in the 1920s and 1930s. Nellie LaLaurie, talented Margot Robbie. <laughs> talented was not capitalized, but it was in the parentheses. Steps into a Hollywood star. Confident, loud, brash, wild, able to shed true tears at action. Diego Caval as Manny Torres from Mexico comes to Hollywood starstruck, timid, no specific talents, and is awestruck with exuberant is awestruck with exuberant Nelly and does not take long to fall in love with wild Nelly. Two different there's, adjectives. There's a, a three-letter word, T-H-E. The <laughs> They need to learn. They need to add it to their vocabulary. Nelly Valore is focused on making it big in Hollywood and has courage to leave no stone unturned. But when 
to get what she wants. Jack Conrad, aging but extremely successful actor, perfectly cast Brad Pitt. Notice is nice and timid Manny. The transition from silent movies to value of sound in movies is shown very well. That's its own paragraph. Jack Conrad's true love for Hollywood and magical sets cannot be matched with talkies going into sound mode of movies. Nellie, a star, can handle any and all changes. Tim and Manny settles with a quiet family life with a wife and child. The loss of love and true passion for Hollywood is expressed very well by Diego Calvo. I am glad I finally mustered up the courage to see the three-hour and ten-minute-long movie superb direction and writing, excellent editing, and extremely talented Margot Robbie, pleasant Diego Calvo, and aging nicely Brad Pitt, who can bring magic to sets. Made this time well spent in front of the big screen worthwhile. Oscar-worthy. I like This guy's like Donald Trump and that he has a nickname for every, every actor. <laughs> Well-aged Brad, well-aged Brad Pitt, well-aged. Talented, talented star Margot Robbie, pleasant Diego Calvo, very Dry pleasant man. Brad Pitt, dry-aged. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I was going through these one out of tens, um, a lot of pearl clutching, but none of them were funny. So sorry, pearl clutchers. Thrown to the um, wind. I have to go with this one, which I found, and you know, more people should have found this helpful. Because this is um, by a fellow writer, um, as as we all are. So this has the the posh and snobbery of uh, of the IMDb user reviews that we all that gives us the good warm mm-hmm. wiggly feelings uh, that we get. Uh, into this, this one out of ten. Babylon makes me nostalgic for Heaven's Gate, Incon, Gilly. Last action hero and nothing but trouble. This is by not John Candy. Uh, but who's it by? Uh, not John Candy. You told me who it uh, wasn't by. <laughs> not John Candy. So don't get him. Don't think this is from John Candy because it's not. Let me start by saying that I dabble in screenwriting and I have written a spec script that I registered with the WGA. For as amateurish as my spec script may be, I am confident that the first 10 pages of my spec script that I mentioned I have a spec script are engaging <laughs> than the first 10 pages of the Damien Chazelle's shooting script for Babylon. Why? Because in my spec script, the reader does not have to endure someone being defecated on multiple times by an elephant, followed up by a someone getting urinated on by an exotic dancer. Whoever green-lighted this film should have instead sent Damien's script back to him with a gift card to Office Max in the exact amount their cheapest paper shredder in order to aid in the immediate dismantling of this project. So I go to see Babylon in my local movie theater during the busy holiday week when everyone is off from work and going to see movies on day seven of its theatrical release, I sit down and realize that I am the only person in the movie theater. Hmm. 
<laughs> then the film rolls, and I am treated with a pretentious introduction segment from two of the main stars, Margot Robbie and Diego Calva, who proudly congratulate me for the once-in-a-lifetime cinematic marvel that I am about to experience that brought back a recent memory of Tom Cruise doing the same thing before the movie Top Gun Maverick. There are no similarities. Tom's audience address was genuine and appropriate. Margot and Diego's segment felt like a desperate appeal for those of us who in the audience to look the other way at the train wreck on celluloid that we are about to witness. I think that Margot and Diego instead should have offered us in the audience an apology and a refund while at the same time making an appeal to Tom Cross, the <laughs> film editor, to remove their names from the acting credits. In closing, Babylon is an awful movie. Avoid it at all costs so you don't have to reclaim the 189 minutes out of your life you will lose forever by watching this disaster. That is, if you resist the urge to walk out during the film, which many have done according to the other user reviews. Three out of six found that helpful. Excellent. Wow. How droll. He oh. must... I bet he, he loves the smell of his own farts. What, <laughs> what an amusing trifle. <laughs> um, Alright. So I figured since we had the time, it's the end of the year, I could indulge in one little longer review. Uh, it's not... It shouldn't be too long. Is it, it our boy? It starts out thick and then thins out towards the end. It, like, trails off. But we have this... Uh, from Red and Blue Bulldog. This is also to make up for every time this year that someone has claimed that a movie was run one rating, but they gave it another. Because uh, this 6 out of 10 by Red and Blue Bulldog is titled, This film is a 6. It's a lush, vibrant 6. It's 3 plus hours of seat time, and in the end, it's a 6. On to the <laughs> and then the review. This film is many things, it evokes memories of other a films. A six, from what I've and, told. <laughs> yeah. Evokes memories of other films and books. Uh, this film is Moulin Rouge and The Great Gatsby were those films to be directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. That may sound great, but here it isn't. <laughs> it reminds me so much of Nightmare Alley from the holiday season last year. A beautiful and yet bloated, overly long period piece directed by a highly reputable director with fantastic star wattage. It also reminds me of this year's Amsterdam, and again, for those exact same reasons. But above all those other films, or possibly below, what this film surprisingly, if not shockingly, has in abundance in comparison to any of those others, or even the director's previously beloved works of Whiplash and La La Land, what this film has is buku, and I do mean buku, scenes of grotesque vulgarity and unbelievable amounts of foul language. Next paragraph. None of these things bother me in movies. If it serves a purpose or is to be expected given the subject or scene, the gross nastiness, the bodily fluids, the constant bad words in the dialogue, especially in the first half hour, it seems as though the filmmaker was purposely trying to stun his audience, and this seems his only purpose. I, re I rarely clutch the pearls with movies. 
my movie date looked at me 15 minutes into this horrendously long movie and said, what have you brought me to? (laughs) It's a long sit the rest of the way. I'm sure people around the world have simply walked out of the theater, having been drawn in uh, by the actors on the marquee, and then quickly repelled by the filmmaker's choices and lack of self-control when it came to editing or trimming down the runtime. Sadly, amazing cinematography alone does not make a movie. Margot Robbie, gorgeous, gorgeous as she is, doesn't fit the time period. She's way too athletically sculpted, and her hair doesn't fit the era at all. Things like that will drive me crazy for the whole movie. Brad Pitt is always great. Here he looks and plays his part to perfection. He's he's a more extreme and certainly more tragic version of Peter O'Toole in My Favorite Year. The lone true bright light of this film is its ultimate protagonist, Manny Torres, played by Diego Calva. He is incredible and captivating in every scene. This is a tale of debauchery, degeneracy, and destruction. You must ask yourself before purchasing a ticket, can your eyes and ears handle these scenes? And can your butt and bladder handle the three plus hours of runtime? Eight out of 14. <laughs> it's a six. It's a six. Um, and that's not the box office tab. That's the box office tab. All right. So that's Babylon. It's a six. Um, in fifth, we have Violent Night. Bring in a cool $3.5 million, um, down 30% from last week. Total gross on that, $67.9 million. Vi- uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh, drops four spots. Uh, I guess it is in its seventh week, but that's still quite a bit of a drop. Uh, down to $3.4 million, down 34%. Uh, $806 million worldwide for that. So barely more than the first Black Panther grossed domestically um the whale jumped up seven spots to find itself in the top 10 for the first time as it rolls out to 603 theaters it's a real debut it's still only 600 theaters (laughs) um but the height of this movie is building because that's a pretty good per theater average Mm -hmm. and i think it's going to counteract like i feel like so much of this is is on the back of of um, Brendan Fraser. Oh, absolutely. I think everyone going into this movie, it's for the this is a movie that you just go into just because. Yeah. Like I feel like you go into it because you, if you're going to watch this movie at this point, you already heard all the reviews saying that the supporting cast is not as good, but Brendan is absolutely carrying this this film. To the shock of no one. Yeah. Um. So only good things from here. I hope. Onwards and upwards for Mr. Fraser. Uh, the Fablemans open, or not opens, finds itself in eighth, up 0.2%, <laughs> and opening in 167 additional theaters. It has brought in a measly, oh, it opened in Canada. <laughs> it's brought in a measly $11.3 million thus far this year. Uh, the menu also drops four spots. Finding itself in ninth in its sixth week. It's pulled out of a thousand theaters, so it's wrapping up its theatrical run. A pretty strong $69 million for the menu. Um, and rounding out the top 10, we have Strange World, town 81.3%. Oh, cut out of half its theaters. They're yanking that shit out of there. 
And who could blame them when their big anime, big budget animated movie makes a whopping $66 million worldwide? They don't want any cross-contamination with Avatar. Like, I want to go see the movie about the weird alien planet. Yeah. It's also probably because it's uh, on the 23rd it was released on Disney Plus to watch. Yeah. Yeah. They are like, it is free for people. Get it out of our theaters. I ever tell you I looked up why, like, what was the scene that, like, got everybody's tizzy in a bunch? Apparently, he, like, he's, the boy is just, like, has a, is crushing on another boy in the beginning of the movie. And, like, that's his, like, kind of plot motivation. That's his, like, love interest. That, that sounds about He's brought up, like, once or twice. Well, it can't it's be very... brought up many times because they have to be able to edit the movie to sell it in countries where gay people yeah. are not allowed. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if it even released in China, to be honest. If well, it's not just China. Like, Russia and ev- all the Middle East is like that. Yeah, although mm-hmm. I don't know how much how much media Russia is getting <laughs> in particular. I know you, that was just an example, but yeah, um, that, that does bring me up the question. I'm like, oh, yeah, does... does Russia have any Disney movies it's able to watch right now? Well, they make their own, so they're gonna have. Oh, Bizarro are we gonna get Russian uh, Treasure Planet Bizar- again or Treasure Island? Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get Bizarre Place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Planetoid of Mystery. Uncle Van. It's yeah. like the, when the Pinocchio became uh, like open market and they they made their own one. Mm-hmm. Or I guess it was Ukraine. I think that did that. I can't wait for the the rash of bootleg movies that will have come out of this time in in austerity or in embargo with Russia. <laughs> oh, um, okay, yeah. I just looked it up. Um, Strange World, it won't play in China or Russia. Um, and then Disney opted to not submit Strange World to several smaller markets in the entire Middle East, Malaysia, and Indonesia because they do they can't edit out the fact that he's a gay character. Yeah, y'all think I was joking about that, but no, it's 100% a real thing. No, no, I, I, I know, yeah, I just... <laughs> well, I was I, speaking more to the audience. Yeah, it's yeah. only business. Um, so, yeah, that's that strange world. Um, uh, what a yeah, strange nothing, world we live in. Nothing amazing uh, else out. Yeah, that's that's Hang about down. about there. So um, we're not going to do gaming news this week. We're going to instead roll straight into Year End Awards. It's the Saturn Studleys. We have seven, eight, eight awards. Eight. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for our year-end awards. We do this every year. Um, I you can go back and watch the episodes because I don't have the winners compiled anywhere. Before. Nope. But um, <laughs> when I open my it. sheet at the at the end of the year, I see my rewards from last year, and that's that's what we got. Um, so. I will stall for time while Peter reconnects. <laughs> and, uh, so why don't you go through the uh, categories again? All right. So all right. every year we award the same categories. Uh, we give out best picture, most disappointing picture. And disappointing phraseology there is important because it's not necessarily the worst. It's just the most disappointing. That could be the worst. Oftentimes we pick the worst. Um, but 
it can be something that you were looking forward to, but kind of let you down for one reason or another. Um, we give out most anticipated picture for the next year. Um, we do game of the year. We do most disappointing game of the year, which is the same sort of uh, concept as most disappointing picture. Um, and then we give out uh, most anticipated game of 2023 and or the next year in this case 2023 and then we give out an award for pleasant surprise which is a award awarded to uh the gamer movie that you didn't expect a whole lot from but it ended up being very enjoyable um so without further ado possibly i know peter's kind of seems like he's stuck in a loop all right everything should be sorted out now we're ready to get into awards so we'll start with uh Game of or best picture as as we often do, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll start with Peter because I have a feeling <laughs> that we should get his stuff out here first. <laughs> hey, um, I I'm just going with the one that just I, I it's the one I'm gonna remember for coming out of this year for a long time unless someone jogs my memory, which probably will happen. But the one that first popped in my head, everything everywhere all at once, that was I, I was jamming with it. Um, yep. it was wonderfully creative on, and especially on the budget. Um, it's, it's absolutely my, my lane is that kind of weird shit. <laughs> so, you know, just fucking puzzle piece. Yeah. I, right I will piggyback off you right there. I put my best picture, uh, this year was everything everywhere all at once. Um, I think they got a great cast. Um, it goes to show you that you can do a lot with like you you don't need the top names to really sell a movie mm-hmm. um if you get enough press out there and show that they over time that they do a good job you can make it with you know not your top name a list actors um and then also the fact that it's a it's a cool concept uh or in the middle mm-hmm. of this multiverse uh, pandemic <laughs> through the Marvel movies where everybody wants to do one and this is their take on it in a not mm-hmm. convoluted way where you don't have to watch 20 movies to understand the concept and I think the story was was really nice uh, there's a lot of people who make the joke but it's it's apt when you're crying at two rocks that don't say a word and you're just going off of subtitles and it's like uh, I don't know just like that the, the score and the background and the the weight of the situation just makes that moment and so many other scenes in that movie uh, really heavy with emotion. So I think that knocked out of the park, and that also is in battling with like surprise because I didn't think it was going to be like that great. Mm-hmm. Right. But sure enough, um, I did like ev- everything. Everywhere all at once um, uh, goes in my honorable mention category. I'll also give an honorable mention to The Menu and Sonic 2. Um, but for me, the one movie that I think of that came out, the one movie that came out this year that I bought on physical media, which is usually a pretty good benchmark for how good the movie was, was The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Um, mm-hmm. I I didn't want to put it in my honorable mention because I knew you were going to call yeah. it out. I was I was struggling like do I really want to put the meme movie as my best picture but it's a it's a good it's a very well executed com comedy with a lot of meta commentary and 
you know, it, it, it goes beyond just being a stupid mean movie to become, you know, a, a masterful, uh, masterstroke of comedy. Um, everyone in the movie brings their a game. It, it was a side of Pedro Pascal. I did not know he had, but he absolutely crushed it. Nick Cage, great as always. Um, it, it what not a whole lot can be said about it other than it was incredibly funny. Um, it had so many references to Nick Cage movies. So if you've seen a bunch of Nick Cage movies, you're gonna absolutely love all of the, the callouts and references to it. And it was just very unique in the way that it's a movie where two of the characters are writing a movie and as they <laughs> make changes to the tone of the movie that they're writing, the tone of the movie that they're in shifts as well. It was very, very creative, similar to the praise that these gentlemen had for everything, everywhere, all at once. It was a very unique and creative movie. And uh, it, I'm a comedy guy. I'm a comedy writer. I, I've loved comedy my whole life. And this, this was the best comedy I've seen in a good long time. I have not laughed mm -hmm. as hard at in a theater as I did with this movie. Um, that's and that's what we need right now is like that kind of stuff in theaters because comedies don't sell as well as they used to. No, they don't. Um, so having one like this that's also just smooth, yeah, it's one I'm definitely going to come back to. Yeah, for sure. All right, now we flip the script and look at most disappointing movies. We'll start with you, Jake. So, something I watched recently, um, I think we were all, at least I was looking forward to it. I, I am a, a sucker for the DC movies, and I really want them to come out with something that will actually rival Marvel. And I was hoping maybe Black Adam might help pick up those pieces, have a good villain. We've been talking about him being Black Adam for so long, and he finally got it on top of bringing in Dr. Fate and Hawkman. Uh, mm. uh, the other two people, man. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, did he just miss the mark entirely. Something that I know you guys reviewed. I didn't get to put, give my input, but I mentioned last week that I watched it finally. And I just sat there nonplussed for two hours and uh, got a nice little stiffy when it came to having uh, Henry Cavill come back as Superman and maybe doing a... A cool Superman versus Black Adam, but I don't like the direction that they're going. And a lot of the background stuff that's happening with the DC universe is is scary, especially because now Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill are all gonna sue uh, DC, um, <laughs> and because they're they're they were promised movies and they're not gonna get them now. So it's all just a clusterfuck. Uh, yeah, see what happens. And this this is like. This just Black Adam just feels like it's another uh, misshapen cog that's grinding the wheels of the machine that should be the DC, and it's so bizarre because you just see like animated shows being pumped out that are like fantastic, but you know they can do something with it because John Cena was able to pull off some shit with well, James Gunn, yeah, they and they put him in charge, yeah. so. We'll so. see what happens. I look forward to seeing what James Gunn comes comes up with, but uh, yeah, it'll be be interesting. Black Adam was not it, and uh, I mean, it wasn't the worst movie I would say of twenty twenty two, but I was definitely had high hopes for it, and this is pretty disappointing. Right. Again, aggressively mediocre for sure. Yeah. Um, 
right. I guess. Yeah. Hurt. So my most disappointing movie of the year, uh, I have to give that out to Lightyear. Um, okay. I didn't know what to expect from Lightyear. I didn't have. It's not like I watched the trailer and was like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to see this." Uh, but I was intrigued by it. Like the whole concept of it is very strange. It is a in-universe movie from a different movie that you're watching now in your real theater. And as as hard as that is to wrap your head around, the movie itself is wildly misguided in every facet. It, it doesn't know what its target audience is. If it's for children, it's very boring and it tackles very advanced concepts like time dilation that a child might not really be able to fully appreciate. If it's for adults, there's not a whole lot of substance to the story, nor is it particularly engaging. So it just kind of floats around looking for something to call its own, some sort of, you know, calling card. And it, it, it stuck with me because it's just this, this great example of a total miss on all fronts. Like it, it didn't land a single thing. Um, and so, uh, it'll, it'll stick with me for that reason. Uh, just how bizarre it was. And, uh, that's why it's my most disappointing picture of the year. Yeah. Um, good. I'm, I'm glad, glad you guys both covered stuff I was thinking of. Um, so I can cover this other one. Uh, again, as we, as we kind of talk about on the, on the studlies here, we choose the most disappointing and not the worst again because that gives us flexibility in talking you know not having to just choose a bottom of the barrel thing each year um because we watch a lot of trash um and rather we grade it by the uh, the the big delta between our hopes and our expectations and what we actually got uh nevertheless i will pick a piece of trash for this year <laughs> as my choice uh and talk about my my most disappointing film was the monsters. Um, that was a, that was a close because, consideration for me as well. It, I was gonna pick Black Adam, but then I thought about it and I was like, well, I didn't I didn't have any hopes for Black Adam, <laughs> other than it would, it would be an all right movie. With the monsters, after seeing that trailer, it looked awful, and it, well, it turned out to be awful. <laughs> but there was a time there where I was like. I was kind of, you know, that that vain hope, <laughs> right? Where you're like, maybe this won't be trash. Maybe it'll just be a cult classic. It won't be excellent, but it'll be, it'll have its niche, and it'll be something that like diehard fans can be like, oh yeah, but you know that that uh, Rob Zombie Monsters was kind, it's kind of its own thing. Yeah. But then it came out, and it was as bad as we all had feared. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's just a. I mean, you can go watch it. There's really not there's not a lot of nuance to how bad it is. Um, it's just that it's garish, and the actors don't. It doesn't fit with the the legacy of the monsters. It's trying to match an aesthetic that was half there and half imagined by Rob Zombie. Yeah. All right, and um, now let's move on to uh, most anticipated uh, picture of 2023. So actually. This won the say this won this very award last year because it was supposed to come out this year, but it was pushed to next June. So once again, my most anticipated picture for next year <laughs> is across the Spider Verse. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll I'll just call it mine too. 
Um, I don't know if it's a. If it was. Jake... It was on there, and then I forgot okay. about one. Um, so I'll. Okay, okay. you got something so different. Not a clean sweep. Right. I'm My excited secondary. to hear. But but yeah, I mean, Spider Verse One was one of our favorites. One so... won a couple All Decade Awards. <laughs> yeah, this those were huge, and we're just hoping to see. You know, if they, it looks like they're going to continue on with that, and more of more of what we love is great. So I'm hoping, yeah. I'm in, I'm looking forward. You to You might it. notice a theme in some of my awards here, so <laughs> I'll just lay the groundwork <laughs> for that right now. Yeah, um, but Jake, what was your what was your your pick? Your surprise <laughs> well, if pick. You, if you had remembered <laughs> what I said for my best one, uh, right. and then I was like, oh shit, that oh. was a 2021 movie, Dune one. Um, Oh, Dune yeah. 2 is being set to release in November 2023. However, that could be pushed back, so maybe we'll have a Spider-Verse situation on our hand next year, but I'm hoping it is sticking for 2023, and uh, Dune 1 was fantastic. Um, it was a, a faithful book adaptation and remake a lot more watchable than the 1984 yeah a lot more watchable a lot more digestible um there's a lot of information coming at you so i think it was a smart idea to break it into two parts um and from having watched the first one we know where it's going in the second one kind of and it's going to be interesting to see what they do and if they can eventually pull off a uh maybe some of the other one other movies which i know have been criticized to be unadaptable to uh to movie format right. well but that's just words we'll yeah. we'll, we'll see it's just fooey all right so peter back to you for game of the year wait yes. did we do pleasant surprise uh pleasant surprise will save for the end okay because it can okay. be either um, game or movie oh gotcha yeah so I'm going to preface this with, again, another one of our caveats for this, because I think it'll apply to a couple of us here. Um, we base our awards most of the time <laughs> on games and movies that we've played and watched. And uh, if you're a regular follower of this channel, you will, again, realize that um, we, have, <laughs> we haven't played a lot of games on the stream. Um, I haven't, I mean, I haven't played a lot of games on my own too much, so the 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 awards will reflect that uh we'll just make a note here great year you know as everyone said it's a great year for games yeah the infamous elden ring came out um a lot of you know a lot of games a lot came of great out. games came out this year yeah <laughs> elden ring other games etc yeah sifu multiverses um, uh Brave chronicles stray a uh, lot a lot of good stuff but um I, I had the good fortune to play quite a few games this year, even though we didn't do a lot of streaming. Um, so I had I had a lot to consider, and even a few that I just played in the past couple of weeks here that made some noise in my mind. But uh, let's hear from Peter. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the one I my game of the year I just picked up a few months ago, been playing sporadically, and it's been friggin' excellent. Uh, Spark the Electric Jester three. <laughs> Um, it's, it's everything I wanted. It's, it's the, uh, it's tight. It's good controls that I've, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve for me to pick it back up. Um, but once, once I clicked for me, the controls are excellent and tight. The graphics are fantastic. 
the level design makes sense and is in you know is conducive to having fun <laughs> um it's the obvious comparison obviously is sonic games um and sonic has not had a super grand track record with its recent releases uh, averaging from middling to troublesome uh but this is this is the sonic game that a lot of people i think imagine in their heads when they're looking for something that would redeem the series I don't want to make the you know I don't want to just make the comparison, but uh, this is it. It scratches that itch so hard. It's a lot of fun to play. So mm-hmm. I've been having fun with it. That is my game of the year. Spark the electric jester. All right, three. Jake, what's your game of the year? I bet if you gave me three uh, guesses, I, I could get it. But <laughs> I I bet you could. But uh, there, there yeah. I again I haven't played um a ton of games like Peter. Um, but you know what? I think games is, is something kind of interesting. You kind of put your a lot more thought into what you're going to buy before you play it, um, and you already kind of know you're going to really enjoy it before you actually play it. So I don't think there's any surprise that Elden Ring um, is my game of the year. Uh, it did win game of the year. Uh, that is why I picked it. I am just copying whatever the, <laughs> the public opinion is like. No, I, I haven't played any Dark Souls game, and actually... From what I've heard a lot about Elden Ring is that this game appealed to a lot broader of an audience than Dark Souls. Yeah, because it had the George R. R. Martin tie-in and all that. I didn't even know about that until I until after like much later on. So mm-hmm. um, I I had heard a lot about the story being good, about the characters being a lot more um, kind of fleshed Character. out, and <laughs> it being more yeah. uh, fantasy oriented than. Um, than some of the Dark Souls, which might have been a little bit more one note into like demon stuff and and kind of just slaying big monsters. Whereas, you know, every every character in, in Elden Ring has like some sort of backstory. Even like the um, even the minor uh, enemies that you encounter, they have something to do with the lore of Elden Ring. And you have this major world that is completely open world. Like it's more. You hear open world and you're like, oh yeah, it might be open world, but I have to get this one ability from this area to get access to this other ability or elsewhere. And this is one of the first games that I actually felt like I could go anywhere and I could skip around and it might be challenging. And it's a Um, huge map too. It might be really challenging, Um, but I will be, I will level up as I get over there. I'll explore as I get over there. And I might be strong enough when I get over there, or I could grind and try to level up in cheap ways, which a lot of the community did just to kind of get I, access and, 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 and roam around freely without the threat of being like one shot out of nowhere by a bird. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it is awesome. I, I, I have the fortune of being friends with somebody who's playing it for the first time for whatever reason, like a year after it came out. And uh, I think one of the key like moments in Elden Ring that you get is just getting out to the world and being like, oh, I'm going to explore the area a little bit and walking down to the swamp and being confronted with a dragon out of nowhere that fucks your day up. And it's like, oh, this is Elden Ring. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I stayed away from the big knight guy who looked like he was out of my league. But this dragon is Little something else, you know. and it's in the starting area. <laughs> but the real threat. So, I yeah, I it, was, think, it was a great game. 
some of the points you talk, touched on, have, I think, have contributed to why it appeals to such a wider audience is that it's not it's not what Dark Souls has been memed about, which was a linear get good set of gates that you have to pick through um, mm-hmm. and get punished for. That's that's why that's why I hear when everyone talks about like their adventure is like I need to there's a problem I'm gonna go somewhere else and level up until I can get back to it which is uh, a staple of more traditional RPGs um, yeah. and a lot more familiar concept to a lot of people yeah. uh, combine that with of course from software's ridiculous visual design and style of animating its world plus the open world concept it's all you know it's peanut butter and chocolate uh it's all coming together um so i can definitely see it's also i said this about risk of rain i'll say about this it's one of those like or like one of those video games you can when people talk about video games in like movies and tv like oh yeah no i was in the i was in the deadly swamp fighting the bone dragon (laughs) with my plus three uh magic wand casting moon spear you know it's one of those where it just like it feels, it feels like you can just um, story. Yeah. You can talk about it with your friends, and it just kind of slots into what everyone thinks of as a, as a video game. All right, so mine, I'm 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 technically cheating because this game uh, technically came out in 2018. However, this version of the game released in 2022, so I'm counting it, <laughs> and <laughs> it's my award. You can fuck off if you don't like it. Um, game of the Year is Spider-Man Remastered. Um, had an absolute blast playing this game. Um, not a huge fan of open-world game design, but this game made it so much more fun. Uh, like it, it. This game really goes to show you how much a traversal mechanic can make or break your open world game and web slinging in this game is some of the most fun I've had in gaming in years. Like I will sometimes just boot it up and swing around Manhattan if I have like half an hour to kill. Like it's just that good. And then the story on top of it was very good. A lot of, you know, things for the, the Spider-Man fan in there. It's just put together very well. Uh, beautiful game uh nixies did an amazing job with the pc port um runs like a dream on a wide variety of hardware um just really solid overall experience um that i i think everyone can can enjoy uh if you like spider-man if you don't like spider-man it's it's one of the better superhero action games i've played in a long time this is coming from someone who's a big fan of the batman arkham series uh which uh, shares a lot of DNA. Uh, this game does uh, with the Arkham trilogy, uh, but it it takes it to that next level in many respects. And I'm I'm very uh, excited. I played it. I loved it. I I'm excited to jump into some of the DLC. I still have unfinished. I played Miles Morales. That was also an excellent game. Um, but there are, there are a lot of other games. Um, I want to give a, a shout out to Vampire Survivors. Um, that mm-hmm. game's a lot of fun. <laughs> Picked that up a couple days ago. Yeah, but it's, right? it, I mean, I've played a lot of games this year, and it's one of the more fun games I've had. Rogue Legacy 2 is also an amazing game that came out this year. Um, mm-hmm. Elden Ring, obviously. And there's another game that might be picking up a later award from me that I also enjoyed quite a bit. Um, but there's just, 
uh, I haven't gotten around to playing Sifu yet, but I, I've, I think that's a game that I'll enjoy. But overall, one of the best games I've played in a long time. Um, well, I, I, not every game I play these days gets me in that like little kid mode of like I'm addicted to this game. I have to push through it. I want to keep playing it. Spider-Man did. I did end up like pausing in the middle, but that was because of life stuff. I didn't have time to play it, but every day I was like, I want to play this game. Yeah, that's where I'm at with Cyberpunk right now. Yeah. Um, that was my one goal during this holiday break was I'm going to sit down and crank through Cyberpunk and I've only had it for like five months. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It's it's I like that game a lot too. It was a very similar thing. That's why it won my game of the year when yeah. it came out. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I put it as most disappointing because of all the <laughs> software bugs. Um, but I mean, that just goes to show. If it was unplayable, I would be so yeah. Like I could totally, and I said as much when I when I gave my summary in game of the year. Is like if you can't play this game, I get it. It sucks, but it ran well for me. I can only comment on my own experience, and this is an ana- yeah. amazing game. Yeah, and I think we had a similar thing with Elden Ring. Um, Elden Ring wasn't uh, performing optimally when it first came out. I waited a little while, um, and there were there were some reviews that that came out that was very uh, favorable, and I picked it up, and it, it ran well on my PC. But other people were just like they were really having a bad time with the fact that it just wasn't optimized to where it could. And that's another game where timing is so key. Yeah gotta have that shit down but bugs can be game breaking in uh in cyberpunk speaking of bugs it's time for the most disappointing game of the year which usually is awarded to a very buggy video game um who did we start with last category so jake yeah i'll do it um this is i don't think it was buggy uh but this is gonna be my hot take uh and i know i'm gonna piss off a lot of people and i'm gonna say scarlet that was also mine or mine were, were my mm-hmm. di- most disappointed game. The, f- the fact that you had one of your, like, th- this is like the world of open world RPG. Now, we're, we're in that era to where that is such a high demand type of games. You had Arceus do it pretty well, and you had Scarlet and Violet almost hit it on the head. But you have one glaring issue, is that you don't have level <laughs> scaling. If you don't have level scaling, you kind of fucking pigeonhole your player into taking a certain route. And there are even people who have like put out lists of like, hey, this is the first gym you're supposed to go to. You have to go here because you, they are your level. You could skip them and come back to them later and just grind like crazy, sure, but when you do come back to them they're not a challenge and it's just a it's just a, a task that you have to check off so you could grind your way and battle the eighth gym leader and breeze through the other seven gym leaders and have very little fun in the game if you're just grind it and do it all in one yeah um and, and that's that's not that's not a fun and, game yeah it is kind of baffling to me just in particular about that about the lack of level scaling in addition to the other things but the lack of level scaling is that fan games already know how to do this, even before this game came out. There was Pokemon Crystal Clear, I believe it was, or Shining Crystal or something, which had a, you start in whatever town, and you can challenge the gyms in whatever order you want, because there's a built-in tracker of levels, 
and it's called your badge count. Yeah, it's it's so easy. It to makes do sense it. in lore. It makes sense in the mechanics of the game. Just implement it. I mean, I'm pretty sure in the show, Brock chooses Pokemon based off Ash's level. He's like, all if you if you only have that Pokemon, I'll just use these two. Yeah. Right, because that's what a and gym especially challenge you're, Yeah, you got to imagine that they're like gym they're leader. gym leaders. They're taking on trainers of all different skill levels. Which is bizarre that we've gone 30 years in Pokemon and not had this actually exist. And that's kind of where a lot of my complaints with Scarlet and Violet, because it was also my most disappointing game of the year, come in. Um, a couple things for me. It, technically, it's a fucking mess. This thing runs like hot garbage. Um, all kinds of of popping is really bad. Stutters, frame rates, cratering in towns. I don't know that anyone's ever really gotten the multiplayer to function in a way that makes it hmm. seem like it was worth it. And I gotta say that the Switch is the worst thing to ever happen to Pokemon because it forced Pokemon to make a jump it was not ready to make yet. Because Pokemon up to the Switch had been a handheld gaming franchise. And now the handheld is the home console, so you have to make a game that's in line with other home console experiences, and Game Freak does not have the personnel with the right experience to make that happen, and boy does it show with how you know rough around the edges Sword and Shield was in some respects, although I like Sword and Shield. Yep. Uh, Scarlet and Violet had a lot more ambition, but it... it it didn't execute it very well and it shows in its technical limitations a lot of the the flaws with pokemon as it exists now like it's the formula has been around for 30 some odd years now almost and mm -hmm. they haven't really meaningfully innovated in the gameplay loop in that time and new pokemon designs are only going to carry you so far for so long and I think we're kind of coming to the end of that road here. We're at we're at a thousand Pokemon at this point. Golden Golden Go, I think, was the number thousand Pokemon, and you have this wide array. So now you have the blueprint to be like I can select a composition of the most broad Pokemon. You can have a different you can have a different game every single year if you wanted to just by selecting from that thousand selecting 300 or so pokemon to be in your open world your regional decks yeah and there's a lot that scarlet and violet bring to this to pokemon that i'm sure they're going to keep around but there's also so much that they just did not improve on from from sword and shield you had the um the crystallize the terrestrialize ability that mm -hmm. is basically just another form of the dynamax dens where you go find a crystal jutting out of the ground and you go battle whatever pokemon's Fight in that raid den. and it's a raid battle and that that's all it was and you, you can only do that so much until you're just like oh this again it, it, it's just it's not I, I guess the only thing that they're doing good is having new content be released they're slowly releasing new pokemon but you still have very similar yeah um, well they're monetizing pokemon releases now which is i don't yeah. care for no, and you had, I, I just can't get over the fact, and I know it's nitpicking on just level scaling, but let's imagine a world where there was the level scaling. You could introduce so much replayability to the game, 
and do different gym sequences and have a different playthrough each and every time where that's genius so good and the fact that they just knew about it so early on that they weren't going to have it and hear that outcry of people saying no fucking put that in your game and they never did yeah. and it just shows that they don't care they don't care to make a good quality game as long as they can hit a release date and be able to monetize DLCs, yeah. which there's going to be another DLC. There's going to be a DLC for mm-hmm. this, like they did with Sword and Shield. That's going to probably complete the game. Uh, I feel like the the DLCs for Sword and Shield probably should have been in the main game. No, they definitely um, should have been. was in there from day one. Yeah, and I think the data's in, in uh, Scarlet and Violet to have... Um, I think the only thing that'll bring it a little bit up is the DLC having something to do with one of the other games because the ever-present issue I have with the games and this is all Pokemon games is there's barely any thread connecting them all Mm. and we have some plot that is just fan-made that is just (laughs) fan-picked about the games that are like okay you've never like straight up told us that you know the megas mean this and they're all it's a different multiverse and there was some sort of split in the in the game and and something to connect all the regions and explain why there's no more megas anymore and why you have these dynamax pokemon now i am so yeah i'm a, i'm just a little back like yeah the dlc could definitely have been like the bridge to what galar right what's yeah the, galar the was sword and shield yeah yeah like they're both in you know pokey europe right so you yeah, could Kalos too like a would be in pokey Cal- well they're the the galler channel the pokey so channel the the big fan theory right now is the dlc is going to be a kalos dlc that's going to introduce megas back into the game because the paradox forms are basically ancient forms of mega evolutions um, in that scene when they like compare Salamance's paradox form to um, the, uh, a mega in a different region, a mega evolution in a different region. So uh, that would be good if they start introducing that, but we have yet to see yeah. it. So, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to hold my breath for them to actually do something good for the franchise. Yeah. You want me to hear um, if game game freak, if you're listening, which you're not, cause you're not going to listen, you know, if they really want to break out of this loop, this a spiral we'll call it a spiral at this point because that's where it's going um they are ripe to make a pokey a version of gta online right make a pokey online because the the raid battles in in scarlet and violet were they were like real time like you know um real time turns right Mm -hmm. you so they have the technology to have simultaneous live players playing together without it being like a Q fest yeah so you could theoretically if they wanted to break out they can make a region that you can access and you can bring pokemon from your pokemon home into this multiplayer only region <clears throat> and you can do raid battles you can do horde battles you can do pvp you can do catching adventures and all that shit and you can do all the things that a pokemon mmo which is it's almost there um would be good for but then again, you'd also have to have good online services. Yeah. Good online services and a way to, honestly, uh, unfortunately, a way to make money off of it. I, I don't know Which if you'll that have... Could be, you can have a subscription to PokeMO. Yeah. Not I, not PokeMMO, uh, which is already a thing. Yeah. But yeah. It, we'll see. Yeah. But that was that was mine. 
up. All right, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking so about I'll, this. Pete, what, what's yours? Um, well, I didn't have that because I saw that it was going to be bad, so I skipped it. I skipped Sonic Frontiers. Um, I'll make a note. This isn't good. This was one of my good ones, but I'll make a note here about the Risk Rain 2 Survivors of the Void DLC because that technically released this year. So I'll put it in. Um, great DLC. More. Love me some Risk Rain. But no, the... Um, the most disappointing one for me this year, just by virtue of not being amazing or not being standout, is just Tiny Tina's um, Wonderlands. Interesting. It's, it's an okay game. I thought we all had a lot of fun not... with that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> That's you the thing. You fucking thought wrong, Kurt. Peter had every second of it. <laughs> like I said, I've not played a lot of games this okay. year. So that is that is at the bottom of my roster. Um, then I then I cheated because I didn't play Scarlet and Violet, yeah, but I just I watched. Yeah. A, well, if we're gonna just pick outside, then yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've Scarlet done that before. Violet. Okay. Okay, then I'll just fucking. Pick um, that. The most anticipated game of 2023. Um, I'll start with this one. Uh, it's Marvel Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I don't know when I'll get to play it. I probably won't get to play it next year, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm interested to see how they balance uh, Peter and Miles. If they give Peter any new tricks, because Miles has Venom and Camo, um, how much of the campaign is going to be given to each character? Or is there going to be two separate campaigns? I'm very curious to know the answers to this. I'm very excited to see if they expand the open world any, or um, you know what new mechanics they add, what, what the story is going to be. Uh, it's hinting strongly that there's going to be Venom in it, um, but Venom's going to be probably Harry Osborn, which is interesting, but uh, creative choices with the canon aside, which I'm sure I have confidence they will make work. Um, I'm, I'm hotly anticipating uh, a return to that that world and a continuation of that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, my pick has not changed since last year <laughs> because they delayed it again. Uh, so it's just going to be Bomb Rush Cyberpunk again. Please come out. <laughs> I swear to God. Come out in 2023. Let me see if it's still scheduled for 2023 at least. Uh, rush. Because they might have pushed it back all the way to 20. Nope, 2023. So, fingers crossed. Just just come out with it. I want to play that game. I want to I wanna roll around some roller skates and or skateboards <laughs> and shit. I'm I'm curious if this is another uh, one of those where I picked the same one as last year. I don't remember. I probably picked Elden Ring as my anticipated game of 2022, but um, I may have also picked Baldur's Gate because uh, we we've been talking about Baldur's Gate three for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and I think last year was around the time that the demo came out, and they've still been working on it. So they may have put I don't know. We'll we'll see. But it's that's what it is. It's Baldur's Gate three. Um, they are getting more into the actual release date and coming out with more information slowly but surely. Um, it looks like it's going to be a fantastic game. Very similar setup. I believe maybe the same studio that did... Um, fuck, what was the... the game uh, Divinity 2, yeah, it's Layrun. Divinity 2. So, uh, very similar setup, which that was a good game. It was just a very... <laughs> it was uh, a good game. I like it. I, I, I always will call it the best game I never want to play again. I yeah yeah that's a, that's a very apt Which description. Because I think so. we ended it with like we were gonna play that final match one more time and we just never 
<laughs> couldn't couldn't convince me to do it. <laughs> it's rough. Um, so maybe maybe Baldur's Gate three will have a little bit of a different scaling um, to where it is. A yeah, more I think if they the refine it a bit, it has a a chance to be very good. Yeah. Um, so I, I I've seen a little bit of the gameplay and it looks fun. It just looks very similar to divinity to be quite honest but it, it looks like they're doing a lot of stuff with it um and that is going to be cool but will Very it be cursed D&D anticipation <laughs> yes we'll see because then um, your healing I won't mean, work this... <laughs> that's <laughs> you know what if they had taken out like half of the mechanics half and of the just terrain streamlined types. it a little bit oh my god it would have been so much better um, Sorry, oh, I didn't God, see the yeah. one Imagine square the, I was standing the, on was cursed fire. <laughs> yeah, was, the 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 cur- it was, I think the worst one was the yeah, steam cursed steam because then steam, it, which is slightly yeah. grayer. <laughs> and the cursed steam, like you couldn't heal in the cursed steam, your healing would damage yeah, you yeah. like that. Or or it it, it made your healing yeah do that's damage what it did to you. Yeah. So the amount of times we killed each other by drinking a pot or doing like a heal on somebody. And then just offed them too, too, too many times. Many. There needs to be a big fucking disclaimer. <laughs> hey, this is going to kill you. Yeah, mark it the same as you do fucking Death Fog. If we ever play that game again, we're going Barrel Mancy. Yeah, yeah. Barrel Mancy. Uh, That's how I had to beat that one fight that we were stuck on. I had to Barrel Mancy. My yeah. Yeah. I went back to the ship. We, we I, one... I put all the points into telekinesis. I made a heavy barrel, and then I Barrel Mancyed our way through that. All right, um, and lastly, Pleasant Surprise Award. Again, this is awarded to a game or movie that you didn't expect a lot from but ended up being very enjoyable. Peter, we'll start with you. Um, well, I was going to give this to Andor, but or RRR, but I, I want to give it to Andor because, um, shoot, I, I thought it was just going to be more Star Wars chaff, but then people started talking about it. I was like, I'll go watch it. And then, lo and behold, it was... It was something I enjoyed watching. I didn't have to, like, just kind of push through, which was huge for Disney Plus content in this day and age. Yeah, I think the Star Wars shows are doing a little bit better than the Marvel ones. Um, And it might be just because they're taking their time with them. I mean, there's been how many? It's two or three Star Wars shows to Mm -hmm. the six Marvel ones. Yeah, they're coming out with the same time. Yeah. There was Kenobi, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, was, now Andor. Andor, yeah. Visions. I think it's also because there's, there's, I think there's a more open palette with Star Wars. Well, um, there's certainly Marvel has written more ground to mind story yeah. from. Yeah, Marvel has both in source material and in writing conventions, they've kind of put themselves into a not a corner, but like a, more like a box, a bubble that they got to kind of follow and it's hard to break out of because that was the main appeal with star Wars. Like the thing about Andor was like, they just decided we're just going to do something else over here. And yeah, I mean, if you want, we can maybe hook into it later, but this is just going to be its own story. And yeah, they, that, a, that a franchise had that a series had the freedom to do that and that it was able to turn out great was, was excellent. And I was very happy. Yeah, I think one of Andor's big strengths comes from the fact that you're like, oh, it was just the pilot from Rogue One. Why, why do I really yeah. care? And then it just turns out to be this epic 
What's uh, spy yeah. thriller that like has weight to it um and the fact that you care for uh meaningless characters that really doesn't hold any gravity to the overarching story of star wars is really telling to the fact that they just made a good show mm-hmm. um and you don't have to have the skywalker family be the center point to make a good star wars show you can do standalone characters and make them compelling and interesting to watch yeah and goddamn like i mean put one or two really good award-winning actors to just do a monologue that'll really get your jimmies in a wrench oh boy if you haven't seen this show it's not going to spoil it i haven't seen this show but just (laughs) i would say look up um stellan Skarsgård's or his character is gunther look up his monologue from episode 10 it won't spoil anything for you i guess i guess it does like who his character is but you learn in like episode two so yeah you learn that um, real early on that he's yeah so oh yeah does that monologue alone would like hook me oh, into like to get so there hard it does slap all right so hard. well jake do you have a different present surprise because you talked an awful lot about andor oh. there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't even i totally forgot about Andor. i mean like uh, I, I think later on uh, I, I thought about Andor, um, but my pleasant surprise, um, I guess it was kind of a surprise, was Arceus. Um, uh, it'll do a game. So I got I got Pokemon Arceus, Legends Arceus. I uh, really didn't know what it was going to be like. Um, and doing the open world adventure, uh, kind of expecting it to be a little bit more buggier than it was. I uh, had saw some of the uh issues that came out but didn't really affect my overall enjoyment of the game um and it, it kind of opens up a little bit more room for pokemon to expand on those maybe uh older forms of past generation pokemon and and exploring like an ancient kanto or or different stuff because we now know that you know pokeball technology has been around <laughs> for a minute <laughs> and maybe that'd be cool to. Well, you didn't you know, get explore. that from from Kurt making Pokeball balls out of whatever fucking apricorn you f- threw his way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want I want to see I want to see more apricorns and see what uh see what we can get out of maybe like a Johto, an ancient Johto. Um, and then you get to see like the the tower be you know in its glory, and I don't know, would be pretty neat to see. Yeah. Um. But if we'll ever get it, who knows? Uh, I, I just think that's like the a good open world adventure that strayed away from the gym leaders um, and did more of like an RPG, uh, dare I say, Dark Souls <laughs> style of fighting. <laughs> it had a tumble. <laughs> and you can light attack and heavy attack. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what you want. This is the Dark Souls um, of Pokemon. I, I, think, I think it was a little bit... Uh, too gimmicky for certain things that that I was like I was like all right it's not it's not for me but uh, I was surprised at a lot of the things that they brought into the Pokemon environment and I hope they try to integrate more of that into uh, future games. Alrighty, um, I also am awarding my pleasant surprise to an open world video game. Uh, my pleasant surprise was Sonic Frontiers. Um, I kind of <laughs> got. A little, little nervous when I heard "open world Sonic game," and uh, oh, yeah. um, with you know Sonic Team's recent track record, uh, you know Sonic Forces wasn't that great. Uh, but I'm happy to say that 
it's not really open world. It's more open zone, which is what the developers have coined it as. And uh, it actually works really well. It's it's a really fun game. It's fun to traverse around the the open world. Um, you get to do more conventional Sonic stages with the uh, you know virtual reality stages, which kind of you use to advance the the plot. They're ripped right from Generations, but uh, that's not such a bad thing because they're they're still pretty good stages. Um, and you know the the plot is kind of interesting. It it really feels like uh, Sonic Adventure three. It kind of diverges away from you know some of the other Boost Formula games. It has more of that adventure feel to it, probably because you're you got more omni movement in these larger uh, stages that aren't quite as as linear um, in some respects. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say the adventure games were like super open world, but um, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to collect, um, and it's all pretty fun. Uh, it's not perfect by any means. It's got some rough edges. That's what kept it away from being uh, my game of the year because it's got some. There's some problems with it, but I think that this is a direction that Sonic Team can take the series in the future that will breathe new life into the franchise. I think this is the best 3D Sonic game since Sonic Generations, which. Uh, Going back 2013 now, so quite a few years, almost 10 years <laughs> between good 3D Sonic games, uh, depending on how you felt about Sonic and the Lost World. Um, but yeah, I had, I had, a, I am having a blast playing it with it. I'm not done yet. It's it's a pretty long game, 3D blast. so I'm, I'm working my way through it. But yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised and relieved that Sonic Frontiers turned out to be pretty darn good. So that concludes the uh, Saturn Studleys for 2022. Um, Be back next year to see how some of these anticipated things turned out. It's always satisfying when your most anticipated thing slots right into your best picture game of the year award winner. So we'll see if any of that happens. And then uh, we'll see you next time for for our year-opening episode of of something. I don't know exactly. Probably Glass Onion. Um, Sure. But um, until then, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye.